0: guys, and welcome or welcome back to the podcast. They make it, she critiques it. My name is Caitlin, and I'm the host of this podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the final installment of the Ember in the Ashes series, A Sky Beyond the Storm by Savata here. But before we jump into that, I want to apologize for not having this episode up last Tuesday as scheduled. I truly don't know what I was thinking watching a podcast at the beginning of finals week. I'm stupid. But for those who don't know, I'm a college student and I got a bit overwhelmed and I didn't want to rush through the book just to get an episode up on time, which I found myself doing in the beginning. So I realized, you know what, let me take a step back and I ended up taking my time with The Sky Beyond the Storm, which I'm so happy that I did um, just so I could have a good episode for you guys, but also so I could enjoy the last book in the series. Obviously, like it's so sad to like have a series that you love so much and and I really wanted to take my time with it and enjoy every single moment of this book so I'm still new to this podcast thing it's my only my third episode but I promise I'll get better um, also I realized when I was recording not recording I was editing my episode for my Sean Mendez episode um, I had my mic settings to only record on the left channel so for my last two episodes you can only hear out of the left ear. I hope I'm pretty sure I fixed it. So you should hear out of both ears if you're wearing earbuds or AirPods or anything. So, I'm sorry again. I'm all new to this, so have some mercy on me. Um, but moving along, it's time for our weekly entertainment highlight where before I jump to the commentary portion, I'll mention something I've recently been loving and consuming entertainment-wise. So, for this week, I've been rewatching Young and Hungry on Netflix. I have been obsessed with this show for years, I swear to god. And it's one of those shows where if you're stressed or you just want to laugh and feel good, you should put it on. It reminds me of like New Girl because I watched, I first started watching New Girl when I got sick and I had strep throat and I was in bed in high school and for two weeks straight I watched nothing but New Girl in bed and it was the best time of my life and Young and Hungry gives me that exact same feeling. Um, A quick little synopsis of what it's about if you don't know. So, a young food blogger, Gabby, is desperate for a job. She finds out that a wealthy tech entrepreneur named Josh needs a professional chef and she wants a position, but she must prove herself to Josh's aide, where Elliot, who is, like, his boss's, I guess, like, personal assistant, he's, like, super he doesn't like Gabby. He doesn't want Gabby to be the personal chef, but he kind of has, and he, he's the one that's going to hire the personal chef. So Gabby gets help from Sophia and Josh's housekeeper, Yolanda, in order to turn the opportunity into employment and maybe love. I literally am just reading this from the internet. It's not the best description, but Emily Osment stars in it, so you know it's going to be good. It's on Netflix. It's so funny. I love it so much. So if you haven't checked it out, make sure you check it out. It's a great show. Um, anyways, <laughs> that's it for the intro and whatnot honestly fuck the intro i'm ready to get into this damn book okay let's jump right into discussing and critiquing a sky beyond the storm by sabata here because i got a lot of shit to say i got so much shit to say and i've been waiting to record this episode i finished reading the book on saturday i think okay i'm just checking i was recording because i was like i've been talking for like five minutes and i don't know yet but i'm recording but i finished reading this book on saturday and it's now monday when i'm recording this episode So I have enough. I've had enough time to sleep to sit down with my thoughts, and y'all, I am ready to go in because I have a lot of shit to say. Anyways, let's jump into the. Let's jump into the commentary section. Okay, I'm pretty sure I'm ready. All right, so I'm gonna split this commentary section, critique section into two parts. So there's gonna have a spoiler-free section, and then we're gonna have a um spoilery section um for those who have never read any book in the ember and the ashes series do not listen to this episode because i'm going to be spoiling some things from previous um books so if you've read up to a reaper at the gates then the spoiler free section will be fine if you haven't read anything or if you haven't read up to that book do not listen to this go read the books, go read the series and then come back to this episode so you're not spoiled of anything so overall Oh, I'm let you guys know when I'm about to jump into the spoiler section, but this is spoiler free for now. Overall, this book was a roller coaster, as most of the books in this series are roller coasters. Emotional turmoil is the best way I can describe how I felt reading this book. I honestly, honestly, my initial thoughts were I want to burn it. After I finished reading it, I was like, I'm going to burn this book. I'm going to rip this book apart and I'm going to burn it because I was just so Fucking frustrated reading this book because I just felt like some of the decisions that were being made. I was like, Sabah, why? Why is this happening? What is the reason? Where is the explanation for this? Because it was it was just unnecessary decisions, unnecessary events that were happening. It was so frustrating because I'm like, this is the last book. All the shit's supposed to go down and decisions are being made that are not making sense to me. So that was where some of my frustration lied. And then Cause here's the thing A Reaper at the Gates left me frustrated and I was terrified and I mean terrified going into this going into this final book A Sky Beyond the Storm you know I didn't put anything past the because she's a beast when it comes to writing she doesn't hold back and she came to write a finale and she did just that the book isn't bad and I want to stress that I don't hate this book I'm just very frustrated with this book because i was looking for a showdown i was expecting a showdown i was expecting a like crazy finale because all the things leading up to this last book were intense were insane it was crazy like looking back when i'm what about like an ember in the ashes and all the things that happened there and then a torch against the night and then the nightbringer coming in and then keenan betraying lia and then lia getting powers and then fucking commandant and karis and helene bloodstrike and all these deaths i'm like some shit's about to go down in this last book and i was kind of disappointed because i was like i was expecting more of a showdown i felt like it was just a little bit anticlimactic for me and my i was too angry at some of the things that were going on to really even enjoy whatever the ending was because oh i just considering everything that we've gone through i was just expecting a bigger showdown like you know like I've never read Harry Potter, but I'm thinking of the Harry Potter books. And y'all remember that final showdown between Voldemort and Harry? Like I was expecting a badass finale, like something like that, something that I'm like ramped up about. And I was slowly starting to like, be like, oh, this is how this book is going to end? Like, really? But I mean, eh, whatever. Um, I found the first two books in this series and the last two books to be so different from each other. Meaning that the first two books were so much better than the last two books. Um, the characters were different, the atmosphere is different, and a lot of it is because the stakes are higher and the suffering is deeper. So I understand it, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> so and I don't like it. Um, I still find the first book to be the best book in the entire series, and A Torch Against the Night being a close second. Sabah is a terrific writer, and she brought a lot of emotions out of me while I was reading this book, and. For someone who cries a lot and I like take crying as like, oh, automatic five stars if I cry, this book is not getting a five stars out of me. I would be damned if I gave this book a five stars. But it's not a one-star read either and I'm still not rating this book because I don't know what the hell to rate it. So we're just we're just in a really awkward place right now with how I feel about this book. But moving on to things that I liked and things that I didn't like, what I liked the most, not the most, but what I really liked about this book were the secondary character, the secondary characters. So, Darren, Dex, Kane, Harper, Musa, Toss, Livy, Leviya, Livia, and Afia. Just the it's second- all the secondary characters. I love them. You know, it, I what I love a lot when it comes to books, and especially fantasy books, is there are so many characters, there are so many characters to remember, right? But when you have these secondary characters that aren't the main characters, And they're not the vocal point of the story, but they still have such a big impact on you and have such a big presence in the story that if they're not there, then it's like, yo, where are they? Because their presence, even though was smaller in comparison to the main characters, it's still so necessary and it's still so much needed because they're just so good. And I love them so much and I loved reading them. I loved hearing their names and hearing what they have to say and seeing them in action. And I just the secondary characters made it for me. Like they really made me love this book a lot because the main characters, cha, I was over it. The main characters were pissing me off left and right. So I was leaning onto the secondary characters for some relief and for some happiness because my main folks, the trio, they were getting on my nerves. I was tired of them. I was like, I can't do this anymore. So secondary characters held it down. The writing oh my god Sabah knows how to fucking write a book I don't care what anybody says I don't care I don't agree with half the shit she wrote in this book but she knows how to write a book she knows how to write a book and even though I'm not obsessed with this book and I don't love this book as much as I've loved previous books in this series I would still consider her one of the best fantasy authors I've ever read I would still ever read is that the right word is that the right sentence I consider her one of the best fantasy authors out there sure um and I consider her to be very skilled in her craft and I mean she inflicted a lot of emotions out of me whether it was frustration or happiness I cried three times three separate times if you follow me on my bookstagram which is Ask for me in my books I had reaction stories where I was basically as soon as I was reading something I posted a story on it so you guys can see my initial reaction and they were all of me crying she made me cry so many times and I'm like bro Typically, I only cry one time when I'm reading a book, but you got me crying three separate times. What the hell were you on writing this? You know, so the writing is so good. The world building is so good. She does a very good job bringing you into this world that we're in. And she just is terrific at what she does. And applaud, applause to Sabata here. Amazing author. Um, And the last thing that I really like that stood out for me that is not spoilery, but it's Helene and Harper's romance, you know. I am so happy that Helene and Harper have a romance going on because, so in the beginning of the series, it was like Helene and Elias, but like not really because Elias was like, Ooh, girl, I don't like you like that. And she was rejected. And I was like, Damn, that fucking sucks. But I'm happy that she got, she has Harper, which is is kind of funny because Harper is Elias's brother, half brother. So it's like, (laughs) It's kind of weird. But, I mean, I'm fucking here for it. I love Harper. He's, like, one of my favorite side characters, one of my favorite secondary characters. He is just amazing. And Helene deserves to be loved because she has a hard time overall with her Her character has a hard time loving others, but also more so allowing others to love her. So, I'm happy that she had somebody like that. And I was so excited to see their romance kind of blossom throughout the story. Moving on to things that I did not like. The Waiting Place. And the soul catcher plot line. Elias becoming the soul catcher was probably the worst thing I have ever seen. Because Elias was the best character in this entire series. You can you cannot argue with me on that. He was the best character of this entire series. The second he became the soul catcher, character destruction i'm sorry i don't like him as a soul catcher the soul catcher plot line made no sense every time we're in the waiting place i am bored as hell i don't care he sucks at his job he's a terrible soul catcher he doesn't want to be there his fight against humanity like you either like do you have your humanity or you do not have your humanity i don't like the back and forth thing and moving on with the back and forth thing Laya and elias's back and forth romance like oh my god elias like i want you you're Elias, you're not the soul catcher. And then Elias is soul catcher to you, not Elias. I'm like, bro, how many times are we going to do this? There are so many scenes where they have a moment and then Elias pulls back. They have a moment and then Elias pulls back and then Elias upset. And it's just back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, bro, I don't, I'm over it. It's so tiring. Like be together or don't be together because at the end of the day, this, this is boring me. It's boring me. And I'm team Laia and Elias to the day I die, but God have mercy. The back and forth was driving me insane. Um, because Elias is just, him being a soul catcher is just so dumb, like character destruction in my opinion, character destruction. Another thing I did not like about this book was the humanization of the villains, and I'm going to get into this more in the spoiler section, but they try to, so we have our two villains are the Nightbringer and Karis, right, and speaking of Karis, her presence or lack of presence is not a good decision in my on on the author's part in my opinion karis is one of the best damn villains ever written into a book period and her presence was like non-existent in this book and in the reaper at the gates too and i'm like in my opinion i think karis is a way better villain than the nightbringer but anyways they try to like humanize them and try to make us feel compassion towards them by giving them a backstory and yada 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 here's the thing sometimes people are just evil just because they're evil you know because When they tell you the intentions and they tell you why the Nightbringer is the way he is and why Karis is the way she is, I'm kind of like, oh, I feel like I've heard this before. It's boring. Like, really? Like, why can't they just be evil just because they're evil? Like, why do they have to have some kind of redemption story? Or why do they have to have some, you know, backstory? Why can't they just be evil bitches just to be evil bitches? Like, there's people out there who are just evil because they're just fucked up, you know? And I just felt like that's kind of what made them such amazing villains, is because they're just evil, you know, but they try to like humanize them and give them their stories. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care because nothing that you can tell me is going to justify the evil, like the things that Karis and the Nightbringer have done. I don't care what kind of backstory you give me. It's not going to make me feel compassion. It's not going to make me feel empathy. I'm going to feel nothing. If anything, I'm going to be even more mad because you're wasting time telling me their backstory that I frankly don't care about. It's not doing anything for me as a reader. Um, other thing I didn't like about the book Was the so there is it's called The Sky Beyond the Storm. So there's a storm coming, and the storm is more the storm comes towards the end of the book. And you're kind of the whole book is kind of building up to the storm coming, the storm that's brewing that we are anticipating. And when the storm happened, I felt like we were built, built up for absolutely nothing. I was the storm was like two, three, four pages that was it. And I was like, bro, you spent how many chapters, how many pages, how many parts leading up to the storm? and this is all you can give me for a storm, girl, please, I was not here for that, okay, um, it was just, I, it was lackluster, it was lackluster, I was expecting more, but I mean, I guess, they've been battling non-stop since God knows when, so I understand why maybe the, the storm was not as big, but, it's like, but at the same time, I was expecting a little bit more, personally, for me, so, that's all I have to say about, like, what i liked, what i disliked my overall kind of synopsis not synopsis but my overall opinions on the book so far um i'm gonna jump into the spoilery section because this is where like i've been tame I'm, not about, I'm, about to, I'm about to release something because I have been waiting to talk, okay? I have been waiting to speak of, on some of these things. So um, this is your warning to stop listening if you don't want to be spoiled for the book. I'm now going to dive into all things A Sky Beyond the Storm, spoilers included, obviously. So again, if you don't want to be spoiled because you haven't read the book yet, then pause, go read the book, come back and listen to this episode. So yeah, final warning, spoilers are coming in three, two, one. All right. Let's get into it. I need to, like, mentally prepare myself for this because it's about to go down. Um, I'm I'm, I'm kidding. I'm going to be tame. I'm going to be okay. So how I'm going to split this part up is I'm going to talk about the main characters. Then I'm going to talk about major, like, plot points, themes, events that happened. Then I'm going to go into overall thoughts again and then... Well, I already kind of talked about my reading, how I'm not going to read it. So basically, we're going to go from characters, main point. You'll, you'll get it. You'll get it. So starting with characters, I'm going to talk about four. I'm going to talk about Elia, Elias, Helene, and the Nightbringer, because those are the ones that we have um, chapters from, point of views from. So there. And yeah. So let's start with Elia. <laughs> I go back and forth with Laya and her character because she can be so stupid at times. Like, there's a point, like, okay, there's a point in the book where she has one job she has one job it is to poison the food right For they're on a mission this is do or die at this point right she has one job she puts on her and the nightbringer is near and she knows that when she lets go of her invisibility when the nightbringer is near she cannot put it back on right so you would think she would not let go of her invisibility right but no she has one job which is to go poison the food while she's trying to go poison the food she sees a bunch of scholars and you know laia she's like oh my god the scholars i have to i have to forget about my mission and go save them she goes and releases them from like because i think they were chained. she goes and releases them two seconds later they all die because they got attacked so what was the point of that and then she sees a little boy and she goes because she doesn't want him to die alone so she goes and holds his head and like drops her invisibility why do you need to drop your invisibility she drops her invisibility and then watches the boy die, but he died with somebody, which is like the whole point of the scene. Here here's the thing with that whole situation. Why? Why here's the thing that frustrates me about Lyah is I understand that I understand that you care about the scholars. I understand that you care about your people and you know you will always put your people first. But the problem is you have people depending on you. You cannot drop an entire mission to go save four scholars who ended up dying two seconds later. You you completely disregarded the mission. And it's like, I you I, I cannot trust Laya as a leader. I really can't. I cannot trust her as a leader. And it's because she just makes dumb decisions all the time. And it's my problem is she puts other people at risk for for, for, for no not I don't want to say for no reason, but she it's just you have to choose a side, Laya. You can't be you can't do that. You can't just drop an entire mission to save four kids who end up dying right then when you have your family behind your only family behind you you have tribes people behind you waiting on you to complete this mission because you are quote-unquote the chosen one and you 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 completely say screw the mission for four kids come on <laughs> you know she's she's just here's the thing about her as well like elia she's not a warrior by any means and she knows that she knows she's not a warrior um and I think other people kind of know that because I'm gonna get into this plot line later, but the the magic inside of her Ramat, that whole old magic or whatever, the spirit that's inside of her, um, she got it, and it was anybody could got anybody could have got it, but she's the one that got it because she defied the Nightbringer or whatever. And there's a point in the book in the beginning, and everybody she told um like Musa and Darren and helene everybody about you know Ramat and this magic inside of her and they were literally like why you you know like could it wouldn't they give it to somebody else and i'm literally like this yes like why you Maya? like out of all people you like why is not a warrior and she knows that but i feel like other people don't know that and i'm like when has she ever proven to be this badass warrior never ever ever and the way she ended up being a kahani at the end one who just tells stories i'm like that is literally her legacy. She's not some badass warrior. She's, I'm not trying to say Kahanis are not badass or anything, but it's very fitting with who Laya is. Like, no one's expecting Laya to fight and battle and be this amazing killer and da-da-da, and I'm happy that she has, her character is consistent, but at times it's just annoying because, like, she's the vocal, she's the focus of the book. She's the focus of the series, but she can be so aggravating at times because I feel like it's the fourth book by now, like, by now, you, you need to fight, you need to fight, if you're going to be the chosen one, if you're supposed to defy the Nightbringer and kill him, you need to fight, you can't be, oh my god, I have to save these kids, you can't save everybody, Laia, and that's just the reality of it, you have to save the people that you can save, and you can save, in that mission in, in particular, you could save, you know, the people that you were supposed to be saving, you, you couldn't save these kids, as we have saw that, because they, they died, anyways, um, and I, in my notes, I said she can sometimes put other people at risk because of her stupidity, having one job to poison the food and then decides to free the scholars, dropping her invisibility. Like what? Knowing that she could not put it back on because the Nightbringer is near. <sighs> Anyways, I just go back and forth with her character. Um, I, I did not like, I mean, no, I think I liked her in the first book and I think I stopped liking her when Elias became Soulcatcher. I think I don't know me and Laya go back and forth she was really not my focus in this book I was I could care less about Laya in this book because Helene was the one who stole this book for me my entire focus was on Helene because Laya at this point I was like you know what I'm over you sis you kind of annoy me and I don't know what it is but I'm just not feeling you anymore sorry Um, but moving on to Elias, I kinda talked about it in the spoiler free section, but his character just went downhill for me when he became soulcatcher. I do not understand what the soul catcher plot was supposed to do for his character. Like, what how is is a soul catcher with him being a soul catcher, what did it do for his character overall? Did it elevate his character? No. It destroyed his character. Because the Elias that we knew and loved is not the Elias that we Because we got a quote unquote Elias back at the end of the book, you know like cook became the soul catcher the new one right which we all knew like somebody else was going to take the soul catcher because they kept hin- they kept repeating his vow and in the vow it was like until- unless another human comes and like is worthy to be the soul catcher so i'm like okay somebody is going to be it right so we knew that hold on i need to take a sip of water so we knew that somebody was going to come and be the new soul catcher but the Elias that we got back at the very end just feels so different from the Elias that we knew in the beginning. And I'm like, obviously he's going to be different, but he's not a better, I don't think he's a better Elias because of it. I think he's a worse Elias because of it. And he got to keep his wind walk. Oh my God. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about how Cook becoming the new soul catcher was a piece of bullshit later on, but that was just ridiculous to me. Um, i said also in the spoiler free section how i understand that he doesn't have his human- and i don't think he d- ever really gave up his humanity because he still had it he still had it i don't he was just struggling back and forth between elias and being soul catcher but let me tell you something it gets old very very fast when compared to other things that are going on in the book i don't really the struggle for your humanity is it's getting boring like you either have your humanity or you don't. And it's like, they say that he's not the Elias that they know. Yes, he is still the Elias that they, that you know. He hasn't changed as much, as, except that he's now, like, stone cold. But, like, he's still Elias. I he, I don't think he ever fully became the Soul Catcher. And, ha- and honestly, this entire sh- shit show that's going on in this book is because of him. Because he sucks at his job. If I was Moth, I would have bitch slapped this idiot. He sucked at being the Soul Catcher. Sucked. and I it was either the soul catcher or he dies right when he because he was he was poisoned it was either he becomes a soul catcher or he dies and what made Elias fitting to be the soul catcher I don't remember what made him fitting to be the soul catcher because if you have if you have to be the soul catcher and you have to kind of give up your humanity what the fuck why would Elias be fit to do that Elias out of everybody huh I don't maybe I'm, I'm forgetting something because it's not it's not clicking to me now um He got his freedom though, you know, like that was the one thing he has been pinning for from the very beginning of the series was freedom. And at the very end, he has like, Oh, I have nothing to do. I could do whatever I want. He has his freedom, he has his liberation. So I'm happy that it came full circle. But it was cheaply done and it was very unfair how he got it. And I don't like that at all. Because other characters got dragged through the mud and Elias just got a pat on the back and you can do whatever like what, please? Um His relationship with Laya in this book was so Leia, Laya, I'm gonna butcher names left and right, but his relationship with her was so odd to me because y'all remember that man- that mango scene? <laughs> I was like, what am I reading? Like, what's going on? Um, she has tried. She has tried. She keeps trying and trying and trying, and he'll like give in for like a split second, and then he's like, please, I'm Elias what okay here's oh my god so annoying I wish Kane didn't come back and give him his memories because I think that is what annoyed me because that is literally the reason why he kept going back and forth back and forth because he had his memories I would be very interested to see how this would have happened how his character and Laya's relationship his character how Elias and Laya's relationship would have happened if he didn't have his memories I think that would have been more interesting because then we wouldn't have this back and forth as annoying as possible I don't know but one of my favorite parts with him in the book is when he remembers those that he's killed I don't remember exactly the situation that it happened but I remember he was um mentioning the ones that he's killed and the people he he remembers their names and I think that just speaks true to who he is and I think that is to me Elias at its very core Elias knows the people he's killed you know and he has to kill unfortunately because we're in a war you can't just you have to kill and he's the best you know battle he's he's best in battle he's amazing he was gonna be the blood strike for crying out loud like he's amazing at being in war and battling and I love that he remembers the people that he killed because he stands for everyone and it's so consistent with who he was in the beginning and to me that Elias that's who Elias is at the end of the day he's the person who remembers everybody that he's killed that's who he is and I felt like that was the only time I really liked, really liked his character, because that was the only time I really saw who Elias was, you know, because the Soul Catcher completely ruined him, so that's Elias for me, he was okay, he, he went for being my favorite, he's still my favorite character in the entire series, but it sucks, because he kind of went downhill for me, but whatever, um, moving on to Helene. dragged through the mud sabata here helene is on her hit list or something because this character helene was dragged through the mud literally her ending i did not like helene in the beginning of the books i'm just gonna be real i did not like her character in the beginning of the books she she was like, "Fuck this not fuck the scholars," but she didn't understand why Elias wanted to help the scholars or you know wanted to help everybody find peace. Da da da, and she was very like empire, empire, empire. And I was like, "Okay, I'm not emotionally connecting to you at all," because it was easy to emotionally connect with Elias. Her we we heard we, we had her story in the very beginning. She was a slave. She was a scholar Like we we connected with her. We connected with Elias because again he had a heart for people. It's easy to emotionally connect with those people for me. It was hard to connect with Helene because she was like annoying and like stone cold and didn't really open herself up at all but this book in a sky beyond the storm helene stole the show i only cared about her character really like she was the focal point for me and it sucked because her character was dragged through the mud i felt like helene has been through enough in a reaper at the gates like but Sabah was like (laughs) we're just getting started okay um there were three okay no there were four main deaths in this book three of those deaths are tied to helene are you fucking kidding me and they're very very important significant deaths why what was the reason i'm gonna get into those specific deaths later on but i just why i understand she's devoted to the empire that's been clear since the first book She, she she loyal to the end to the empire right but helene's come so far and she's experienced so much pain and love but everything she loves brings her pain. So now she's choosing the Empire and nothing but the Empire because of what? She's scared to love? What kind of ending is that? Like, she she chooses the Empire. Well, she didn't choose the Empire. And this is why it's confusing me is she didn't choose to be Empress. Does she even want to be fucking Empress? Because my problem with the ending is that how come Elias and Laia get to have the ending of their choosing? Get Because Laya was super happy to become a Kahani. She chose that. She made that choice. And... Elias you know can do whatever he wants he made that choice when we know that Helene is loyal to the empire but does she want to be empress and why is that her ending why how come Laya and Elias can have a happy ending but Helene's the only person who gets nothing she gets nothing and don't you dare talk about she got her nephew because I'm gonna talk about him and his insignificance to this entire story later on but she has nothing and she has no one they were all taken away from her why for what reason and apparently there's a prophecy that i miss i don't know if it's i don't know if this is actually true i think it's true but there's so many damn prophecies i can't keep up where i think it was Cain who told her that she's plagued by death or something but i'm like don't prophecies get fulfilled i haven't enough people died because of her and for her and near her like so does that mean that everything that comes close to her dies like what kind of what what kind of prophecy is that the fuck so you're telling me she won't love again because everyone close to her that she loves has to die do you know what that's going to do to her she'll literally become the commandant part two that's what's going to happen to her because if you cannot love anything because it's going to bring you pain to love something because you know it's going to be stripped away from you why would you love anything then you won't love anything And when you don't love something, ooh, child, it's going to be very, very easy to start killing people. Please. She's going to become the commandant. And I've heard that her and the commandant are like mirror images of each other, like polar opposites. But I'm like, she's literally going to become the commandant because what the fuck kind of ending is that? That's what what I'm hearing is that. And I'm like, if she's so plagued by death, why doesn't death just take her? I honestly wanted her to die. I really like after Harper died. Harper after he died I was like you know what Sabah just fucking kill off Helene I wish one of the th- one of one piece one person out the trio should have died and it should have been Helene I was sworn she was gonna die I was so positive she was gonna die she should have died because what kind of life is she gonna live now she wants no husband she wants no children and I don't think it's because she chooses to have no husband and chooses to have no children I think she doesn't want a husband or a child because she doesn't think she's deserving of it. She's closing herself off because everything that comes near her, everything that she loves dies. So why would you want to have kids? Why would you want to have children? She's going to become a stone cold person. She's going to become a commandant, which is what they don't want. But literally, that's what you're doing to this character. You leave her with absolutely nothing. Helena is one of the strongest characters in this entire series. You can't even leave her with one person? Really? For what? Not like I. Mm, I just. And then she has this gift of healing. Helene has the gift of healing, right? Why couldn't she heal anybody in this damn book? Why couldn't she heal anybody in this book? she couldn't heal ferris she couldn't heal livy she couldn't heal harper nobody nobody could be healed well i understand the only death that made sense to me was ferris's death every other death made no damn sense but she could heal absolute her healing power was just useless why do you, this is a this is ooh this is a problem i have with fantasy worlds is why give somebody a power where they don't even use it for an entire book this healing power of hers is so unique where she can heal people with a song why couldn't she heal anybody the only person she healed was Laya. Sorry. <laughs> the only person she healed was Laya. Oh my God. I feel like if you can heal somebody, you can also kill somebody with your powers. I'll, ooh, that could have been something right there. I don't know. What was the point of her healing? Bring it full circle bring it full circle but they didn't they literally were like oh yeah um helene has healing powers but the only reason she has her healing powers were to like save laia that one time and that's it okay that was in, like the first book or so like girlfriend we're on the fourth book she could have died i wanted her to die because i was like i don't want you to because what kind of ending does she have and then they try to like allude to her maybe having a romantic relationship with moose like get the fuck out of my face with that bullshit i'm not taking that up like bye that's disgusting goodbye I'm not even I I'm not even going to think that that's ever going to be a thing anyways moving on to our next character the Nightbringer I felt more connected to the Nightbringer in this book obviously because stories upon stories upon stories were told about him and more give I guess give more of an insight about who he is and why he does what he does here's the thing what made the Nightbringer so unique to me and what made the Nightbringer so interesting to me was I didn't know his story right I didn't I didn't I didn't know why he was the way he was I just felt like he was just this evil person who just wants power and just power hungry and da 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 da. and I think it's interesting that he was doing it out of love for his people and the djinn and everything but I'm not going to feel anything for him because he's a terrible person. He's a villain. And I think authors have stopped trying to humanize villains and just have them just be evil just to be evil. Because at the end of the day, the Nightbringer is an evil motherfucker. And there is nothing you can say to alter that. Um, I still think Karis is a better villain than he is. And I think she's a better villain than he is because we didn't have her backstory like that. I mean, we did get that one chapter of hers which made no freaking sense but she's a better villain and if i was a Nightbringer, i would be so scared of karis because the way she'd just be killing people left and right like it's not anything right with her um it was interesting learning about his past and nothing and whatnot but i just i wasn't that interested in it enough you know i i mean the Nightbringer is an interesting guy he's a very interesting guy that's the best he's just interesting but I'm not moved by his story or any means I don't feel closer to him if anything I'm just kind of like he's not as scary as I thought and I liked being scared of my villains and he just became less and less scary to me the more we knew about his story so but oh the fact that he played that one lady and pretend to be her son or whatever and then left her just with a necklace I was like damn this dude is evil, he played her, and then he played Liv- Livio, with, ooh, not Livia, um, Laia with being Keenan, bro, that betrayal, that was when I was, sh- that's when I was like, oh no, Saba is insane, because that betrayal shook me up, but anyways, that's it for the Nightbringer, um, that's it for all the characters, we're gonna jump into some plot points, and things that happened in the book, because this is where I get very frustrated, and this is where my frustration lies, so, let's talk about the prophecies and the riddles and shit because there are way too many damn prophecies there are way too many riddles here's the thing I can't keep up with all of this I'm trying to remember the prophecies that were given in the first book in the second book because Cain's out here throwing prophecy every single damn book Cain dying was very interesting to me I thought he was already dead so he came back and I was like oh he's alive and then he had I didn't understand the prophecy he gave when he was like well, when he was telling the order, like, the Shrike was first, and then Laya, and then Elias, I was like, oh, is that the order in which they're gonna all die? What if Sabah killed all of the main characters, the trio? What if she killed them? I was prepared for that, and I think I would, I think I would like that. Maybe. I don't know. You would have to do it a certain way. You would have to make each of their deaths be, like, super significant, which that would be very difficult to do, but... I'm not good at like keeping up with prophecies or figuring out riddles and stuff like that so being bombarded with them was just like oh my god what does this all mean I'm overwhelmed I don't know I'm not I'm not smart enough for this I'm still new to the whole fantasy thing so I didn't really understand them I was just kind of reading them or like okay cool moving on so there was just a lot and I was like I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what this is supposed to mean and then they'll keep I mean the only one that made the only one that like hinted at something was the vow which that's not a prophecy it's a vow that Elias made to be soul catcher. That was the only one that I was like, "Oh yeah, obviously someone's gonna be the new soul catcher." But that was it. N- nothing else made sense to me. Um. So, let's talk about. Th- <laughs> there's like there's a scene in the book where it was after the Ramat that's in Laya kind of reveals herself to the Nightbringer as like his wife, and Elias like, "Oh my god." You lie to me and then like banish her banishes her away from her body or whatever and then it's just the Nightbringer and Laya, and they have this like moment of like staring at each other's face and like holding each other's like I think Laya holds his face in her, in her hands and there's this like weird tension and I'm like what the hell like is, are y'all about to kiss or something like what is going on and I still think the Nightbringer and Lyra have a very interesting relationship because of the whole Keenan situation. And I didn't like Keenan. I never liked him. I felt like he was coming on too strong. He was kind of annoying. Um, I never cared for his and Lyra's relationship. So, whatever connection Lyra has towards the Nightbringer, I don't feel it. Um, so that whole scene, that whole scene in particular, was kind of weird. I was like, "What the hell is about to happen?" Because. I'm not about I'm not trying to have like a love triangle situation going on right now. So I'm happy nothing happened. And then like, I don't know why it's about to put that in. I think she put it in maybe to like remember remind us of like she was once in love with him. She once like this was the first boy she ever loved. And I kind of wish that was a little bit more played with. Like because Laya was so dead set on like killing the Nightbringer. But me I'm like bro like you love loved him. Like you chose him over Elias you don't do you really want to kill him that bad like I don't know I don't know that was very interesting 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 I don't know speaking of like the Nightbringer and Ramat let's talk about that whole plot line this was a very interesting twist to the story it was very random to me like Laya already has magic she already has powers does she need this old thing inside of her um Ramont's goal purpose in this book was to at the very end essentially chain the Nightbringer and take him wherever she took him. What? (laughs) No! I wanted the Nightbringer to die. I wanted Laia to kill him. And I wait, I will say I loved that he had I love that he wanted Laia to kill him because nobody's suffering is compared to his suffering. I loved that because I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And then, like, he – sorry, guys. And that he was um, essentially, like, the main – he he essentially was the storm that was that was coming. Like, he aided in the storm more than anybody. And I loved that. But I didn't like how he died because he, he – it was weird. Like, he was sitting in the middle, and then Laia was like – oh, my God, one thing I do love was – the meaning, sorry, the meaning of names, oh my gosh, so Ramat's name meant mercy, and then the Nightbringer's name, I don't even know how to say it, Mahari, Mahari, whatever that is, means um, beloved, and then Laya gives him a new name, I don't remember what the name was, starts at the end, but it means forsaken, and I love, I love that, I love that part, Um, and then Ramat chains him and then takes him to God knows where, I don't know, that was just weird for me, I just, i expected the nightbringer to go out with the bang and just to be changed by your old wife was just odd because at the end of the day Laya didn't defeat the nightbringer remont did in a way i don't know that whole plot was just weird like i just i didn't. i don't know i think the, i don't think it was weird i think i just didn't care for it i think that's what the, i think that's what the problem was i think there. i didn't care for that plot line with remont and I didn't like it. I didn't like how Laya was the one that had her because she defied the Nightbringer. And I'm like, honestly, you could have gave it to Helene. You could have gave it to Darren. You could have gave it to somebody else. But you gave it to Laya, I guess I don't know. Don't care. Um, and I think the reason I don't care too is just not just because I I didn't. It was boring. But I also think the reason why I don't care is because I don't care about the Nightbringer story. I don't care about his background. I don't. There's nothing like. He's an evil person. There's nothing you can like, sure, I understand. We're trying to learn why he's evil. We're trying to learn what happened to the djinn and what happened to his children, what happened to his wife, and yada yada yada. I understand that. And I understand that he's been through so much suffering and he's gonna put that suffering back into the world. I understand that. But I don't care. That does nothing for me to his care that does, that's nothing for me to his character or how I view his character. It does nothing. You're wasting your time. Anyways, moving on. Let's talk about um, Zach- Zach- Zacharias and Livia, Livy, Helene's sister. What was the point of this baby? What was the point of this baby? Because I think the only point of this baby was to make Marcus's death be a little bit more impactful, I guess, that... Marcus is dying but hey yeah he's left the baby behind like what well, because this baby did nothing in the story this baby meant nothing in the story they were trying to keep this baby alive and I'm like for what for what because he's the here because he's the ear hear, ear high. I, you know what I'm trying to say to the to the to the throne the baby was pointless I don't think I like babies in books to begin with like I don't because if you're going to bring a baby into this book the baby needs to do something the baby needs to mean something that scene live as death um, Livy's death. um I think that the baby should have been kidnapped instead of Liv- instead of Livy dying. That would be interesting because why is the baby here to begin with? If you're not going to utilize the baby, make the baby be something and add something to the plot. Kidnap the baby. Kara should have kidnapped the baby because what was the point of killing Livy in that situation? Why did what just to add to Helene's suffering? Why just to show that she's plagued by death if that's her prophecy? Of, That actually is her prophecy. I don't know because I don't remember. Why? So what? Like, when, how much suffering does she... And you don't think that kidnapping the baby or killing the baby would add to Helene's suffering? Like, we all know Helene suffered. We all, we all are all, we are all very much aware of all the things Helene has had to suffer. She's already had her undoing. Why are we prolonging her suffering? Why are we not letting her rest? Not even rest. Like, it just didn't make sense to me killing Livy. And then her death broke me because can helene just catch a break can someone else die them having that fun sister moment of like joking and da 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 and then bam livy's throat is slit right in front of her and then karis tosses the baby in the air why didn't karis steal the baby why not and then they had livy staring into her baby's eyes as the life is leaving hers was just a lot and it just broke me and then helene is just sitting there screaming holding this baby and i'm like what the actual fuck that was like literally her last family she had and you took her away for what for what reason (sighs) the only thing i liked about this baby was i enjoyed the relationship that toss had with zacharias because toss is so pure and innocent and loving and the fact that he's essentially like zacharias's friend and brother and caretaker is so sweet and It's one of my favorite moments in this book. Toss's presence was just enough to get me through because poor kid. I'm happy they didn't make him into like some crazy badass warrior because that's so not who he is whatsoever. Like when we met him in prison, it would just be so out of character for that to be him. So I'm happy that they gave him this like caretaking, loving, innocent role because that's who he is. He's just a child. And it's so weird because you have children fighting in war and someone like Toss would be fighting in war, but no, he's not doing that. So I liked that little... little ad there so zacharias didn't have a little role but like really he didn't because why bring a baby this baby obviously means the baby doesn't mean anything because why would Karis have the baby in her hands just to throw the baby back to helene where she knows helene's gonna catch the baby why i kidnap the child for god's sake do something with the baby have the baby mean something but no kill the baby if anything y'all go no i don't know about all that no kill the baby because what is the baby doing here anyways moving on on the topic of karis let's talk about karis and her reasoning as to why she's the fucking commandant and shit like that that's it it was that simple her mother wait what was it it was her mother and her husband her husband was killed her mother Fuck, i think her mother was killed too but I don't remember exactly whatever it was it, was, it wasn't it was as intense as I expected because I'm like well we have people who have it worse Helene and she's not fucking turning into a commandant yet because she's about to because with that ending I would be fun I would be a fucking commandant too what the hell but I just felt like in comparison to what Karis did her ending was just so it was too simple like her and her death the way that she died I was like what helene just had to say lovey and then Karis is like completely broken and i'm like and like it doesn't want to kill anymore and i'm like wait and then cook just comes and like slits her throat and that's the end of Karis ventura the commandant really the commandant just ends like that i don't think so um her presence declines in this book which is so upsetting because she is the best damn villain ever um cook killing her was such bullshit it was such bullshit she deserved to go out with a bank. Why are we trying to humanize characters? Why are we trying to... Not characters. Why are we trying to humanize villains? Why can't she just be evil to be evil because her reasoning was just not it? It was just not doing anything for me. Like, okay. Literally, you guys seen that girl on TikTok who was just like, okay. Literally, like, that's it. Child, please. Why can't she just be evil to be evil? Because, again, comparing what she actually did To the reasoning as to what she did the commandant please she that ending was trash speaking of cook how convenient how convenient that she comes back how convenient that she is alive how convenient that she's gonna be the new soul catcher am i right get the fuck out of my face with that bullshit this bitch was dead she was dead why there was no inclination oh they didn't come back to search for a body are you kidding me they didn't need to search for a body you're dead you're dead you were supposed to die why are you back and you came back out of nowhere when i saw it was like my Mira. that's her name Mira of syria syria i read that again i was like why the hell is cook here why the hell is lion's mom here isn't she dead i thought i was dreaming i don't know i don't i thought i was reading it wrong and then I was like, no, her mom's alive. And I'm like, bro, this is ridiculous. Helene should have killed the commandant. Helene should have killed Carrie, especially after Carrie fucking killed Harper. Are you? If anybody deserved to kill the commandant, it was Helene. Why is, let me say something. Cook, I don't care. I don't, she died. She had her moment. She died. Why are you bring her back? The only reason that Cook came back was because Elias and Laya just needed a happily ever after. That is the only reason. Because no other reason makes sense. And now she's like, okay, and she's healed from her trauma, quote-unquote, and she can touch Laya now and hug her like she did at the end. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not taking that. Um, it made no sense just so lia and elias can have their happy ending that's it and if she were here all along why didn't she intervene quicker why was helene even trying to kill karis because why why was because the only people that knew she was alive was helene and harper right so why did Harper have to, do- what, this whole, that whole fight sequence of Helene and Karis and trying to fight each other, that could have been so much differently because, you know, Helene, Harper dies, Helene's about to be sla- slaughtered by Karis. And then Helene says, lovey. And just, why did Helene start talking about lovey beforehand? Why? W- this, and this pushes, this pushes me to the next point I'm about to make, which is Harper died for no fucking reason. Because let's get into Harper's death. Because this is, this is where I was like, you know what? You know what? I'm done, Sabah. You are just on my hit list at this point. Because what was the reason? I feel cheated by Harper's death. This is when I lost it. I lost it. I was crying out of pure anger. What the hell was the reason? Explain it to me, please. I was begging that my eyes were deceiving me. I was begging that I did did not read that Harper is dead. I was begging because why? Everybody else has died. Why is Harper? And I understand we're in war. It's the battle, da 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 Whatever. You could have killed Mommy, Rilla. You could have killed Quinn Ventura, who I thought was dead, and his ass popped up again at the end. I'm like, weren't you dead? You could have killed, you could have killed, a fi, a f, a, what's that girl's name, R-A, let me spell it for y'all, because I don't actually know how to say her name, A-F-Y-A, Afya. you could have killed her, you could have, you could have killed, you could have killed so many other people, but you killed Harper, and the last thing he said, he said, um. damn, what, the, what did he say? I don't even want to go back to that page because it's just going to make me want to cry if I even go back to that page I wrote it down oh she said um Harper said let war claim me first which the night before when Harper and Helene had their last moment she said let war claim me first and I thought she was going to die and he said that back to her when he died and I was like Sabah, you are literally annoying for doing this because it made no sense. Like, fuck you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Sabah, but, like, fuck you. Um, and then Cook killed Cares. It was just so, like, that whole sequence of events of, like, oh, it just made me so mad because now Helene's left with nobody for no reason. Like, you're literally turning Helene to be the stone. You're You want Helene to be the new commandant, literally, because that's what you're turning her into. God damn. And speaking of death, let's just keep going. Darren's death, so swift. Killed his character off in like two sentences. For what? Because he first of all, he's stupid. Why aren't you listening? She, Laya said, "Do not come near me." Elias said, "Do not go near her." What do you th- you really think, Darren, you are going to do something when the nightbringer is there? Do you not know who the nightbringer is? God damn. People are so fucking stupid. Also, the thing, I didn't, the thing, I only cried when Darren died because I was still crying about Harper and I was like, people are just dying left and right. Like, this is not fucking Grey's Anatomy. You don't just start killing characters off for no reason, okay? Actually, I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, so I don't know if they kill characters. I just know people die a lot. But, um, I needed more from Darren's character, first of all. I lacked emotional connection. We had two books without him. He is essentially part of the reason why Elias is in the waiting place and the soul catcher. We spent two books trying to find him he was supposed to be this, you know, he can make Steric Steel and da 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 And then he was, like, non-existent. So I was like, we spent all this time trying to get you for you to really not play a part in the book. Like, what? What the hell? It was such a shame because I was like, I really wish he had a bigger role and I wish him being the one to make Steric Steel was bigger. It felt big when he was in cough Prison, but then again, like, when he was out, it just muddled. It was just muddled by other things. Um... I just felt like Darren wasn't given much of a chance to really stick out and shine and have and be a character in the story. So his death just felt cheap because it was two sentences and then he died. And it sucked because it was like you died because you don't know how to fucking listen. Honestly, I think the only reason she killed Darren, the only reason she killed Darren, because there's no reason why she killed him. The only reason she killed Darren was because all the debts would have been tied to Helene. All the main debts Ferris, Levy, and Harper are all tied to Helene. So she killed Darren to make it seem like she's just not targeting Helene. That she's targeting everybody. Bitch, please. Because she still has Elias and her and Elias run into the sunset together. Get out of my face. Um, the exchange between Cook and Elias, like exchanging, I guess, um, soul, being Soul Catcher. The way it happened. Cook was just like... He's never leaving you, Aya. He better not leave you or something like that. And then she was like, um, talking to Moth, like, I already know the vow. Let me be the soul catcher so he can live his life with my daughter. Are you fucking kidding me? Everything in this book, in the series, has been difficult as hell. But the exchange in the Moth was just like, okay, okay. That was so cheaply ju- done. That was so cheaply done that I was just like, you've got to be out of my, you've got to be out of my mind, out of your mind, are you kidding me, like, it is just so unfair, and then Helene's only person left dies, I feel nothing but anger, nothing but anger, um, let's talk about Ferris's death, actually, for a second, so, child, this is when I started kind of fearing Sabah, because this was the first time I cried reading the book so far, it was hard, it was brutal, it was really hard, it showed Helene that people will die for her. And it was the only death that made sense to me because he had to, it, it was either he, they, they both die or he dies. And they have to show that Helene, people are going to die for you. Ferris was there to protect you. Yada, yada, yada. And then he said loyal to the end. And I was like, damn, I'm really sad. And then he made that comment about Harper and Helene. And then he said hi. And then he was saying, say hi to Elias, Elias Forby. And I was like, bro harper was their friend you know and i'm i'm kind of upset that like he wasn't in the waiting place and him and elias didn't see each other again because i was like i kind of wish we saw that because that would have been really sad as well but ferris he's he's been he's come a long way he's come a long way and i don't like it when any of their friends die because it's just hard oh god his death really like i cried for a while but he was death again only one that made sense Let's we're we're almost done. I'm like talking. I've been talking for an hour straight. Okay. I don't know what this podcast is gonna even sound like. It's just gonna be me yelling. <laughs> um, so some of the life lessons were on like love and pain and grief and suffering and forgiveness and yada yada yada. What I liked was Helene wanted to kill the djinn and like wanted a real like battle or whatever, and Elias was like, no. <laughs> He was like, we cannot become them, the Commandant and the Nightbringer. And I was like, okay, I like that. I like that. Like, Elias is, he's, he's, Elias doesn't want to kill people. And that has been very consistent. And, you know, Helene has to come, she's come, and she's also now realizing that there's other ways we can do this. There's other ways we can go about this. And I love that. One thing I felt that was missing was Helene and Elias' relationship and their friendship because I think their friendship was kind of, pushed aside because of Elias and Lia being together and it sucked because their friendship was so fucking beautiful in the first book like god damn like I didn't want them to be together but their friendship was so good and I felt like it was so muddled because of Lia and Elias's relationship and I wish we kind of had more scenes of them being friends I mean they had that like one last dance together but it was like nothing It was, it was, I needed more, okay? I needed more. Um, overall, here's the thing. I understand this is war. I understand people will die. But why are all the deaths only hurting one character? Make it make sense to me. Laia and Elias get get each other and Aline gets no one. Cool. Whatever. Killing characters doesn't make a good story. Especially characters who are important. Make it mean something. Harper's death didn't mean anything. Leap. can never say her name right levy's death didn't mean anything darren's death didn't mean anything make them mean something please 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 because i'm pretty sure in war not one person is targeted pretty sure in war everyone's targeted but it felt like only one like it, what did helene do to you sabah like what did she do to you i thought she was one of your favorites anyways moving to my overall thoughts because we need to start wrapping this up um Pain. I feel pain. (laughs) I'm still very much frustrated, but I liked it. I guess it was it dragged at times. Sometimes I was kind of bored. I was like, the waiting place is just not an interesting. The waiting place is just not an interesting plot story, and I'm just bored every time I have to read about it. To be honest, um, I think it's an okay ending, but I'll be lying if I say I wasn't disappointed. I expected more of an explosive final battle and the storm that we kept alluding to to be a little bit bigger than it was and longer than it was and I didn't get that. I feel cheated by Helene's suffering and character deaths. It didn't make sense for the 10 hundredth time and it didn't feel fair at all. Um, I cried so much reading this and I cried so much after reading this. Every time I think about Harper, I start crying Um, and typically when I cry, the book is an automatic five stars, but because you inflict so much emotion out of me, but my crying was out of anger and frustration and being pissed off. So no, I'm not giving it a five star. Um, I'm not rating this shit at all. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know how to rate this book at all. Um, I liked it more than a Reaper, I think, because we finally got a win. Oh my God. A Reaper was just L after L after L. And I was like, holy shit the blood strike you suck at your job (laughs) you suck at your job because everything you keep everything she said like a plan she made in a reaper just backfired so at least we had a few l i mean a few wins in this book um but i'm still pissed at some of the decisions that sabah made with the characters and plot points i just the final the final just frustrated me and i'm disappointed that it didn't leave me satisfied completely because you always want to be satisfied when you finish a series because you know you want to leave it on a good note, but I'm happy that it's over. I cannot, I'm tired of this world. It's, I have a headache. I, I need to go take an aspirin or something. Um, but I would hundred percent read more of Sabah's work. She's too damn good at this for me to not read anything else that she writes. So that is it for the episode. I have talked my ass off for over an hour. I am tired of hearing myself talk. Um, hopefully I don't have to re-record this episode because I had to re-record my Sean Mendez episode. So hopefully I don't have to re-record it. Hopefully it's not too bad. But thanks for listening f- to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate and leave a review. Follow the socials at they make it, she critiques it, and share the show with someone you know. I'll catch you guys later this week with a new podcast episode where I think, I think, because I don't want to make promises because the promises I be making, they don't come out right. I mean, they don't actually land. So I think... I'll be discussing Frozen 2 uh, later this week, um, which I've never seen before, so this will be super fun. Um, I'm wishing you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, and I will see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye.